This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my two co-hosts, Stanley Fritz and Alyssa Fuchs. FYI, you guys are like two of my favorite people. I know I don't say that often, or maybe ever. Yeah, what? Selena turned off my mic. She wants to block my no, voice. The person I don't. who hate the most is not here with us this week. <laughs> Jackie oh, yeah, Cohen. Jackie. Shout out to Jackie Cohen. She couldn't make it in today. I hate you. All right, Stanley, so st- speaking Stanley of hate, <laughs> speaking of the hate that Stanley has festering within him towards us, um, let's talk about some 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 real hate, some some things that are really actually hurting black and brown communities. And if you ask me, it's all rooted in hate. So, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in this show. When we were talking about police violence, we were talking about police brutality and these tactics that target black and brown people. There are also there's also a number of tactics right here in New York City that target black and brown people. And what I'm talking about is the NYPD 12 case, again, which is a group of black and Latino officers who have decided to take a stand and say enough is enough. We're blowing the whistle on this illegal quota system when it comes to arrests and it comes to summonses so what they've been saying is um they sign up they sign up to protect these communities uh, they're from these communities whether they're in the bronx they're in brooklyn harlem wherever it is but instead they're being trained and taught to target ethnic communities and even disenfranchised communities like the lgbt community to make a summons to make a quota to or to build up basically their, their record um and it's unfair it's unjust and it hurts the most vulnerable communities that we have here in new york city so a number of people have decided to speak out. It started off with um, a, a few of you guys, and now it's grown, and you guys are getting, you know, a lot of coverage. Not enough, I will say that. This is not being covered enough in mainstream media, and we definitely get, need to get the word out. So to help us get the word out, we have a very special guest here with us in studio. His name is Edwin Raymond, and he is the lead plaintiff in this NYPD 12 case. Again, a class a class action a lawsuit against the NYPD for this quote. System. Thank you so much, Edwin, for coming down uh, here at WATR and speaking to us uh, uh, here at Let Your Voice Be Heard. And um, I want to start this conversation by just asking you, as a police officer, you know, I don't know how long you've been on the job, but what made you decide to speak out about this injustice and put your own livelihood in jeopardy by speaking out about, again, unfair tactics? Well, uh, first thing, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, thanks. We have to spread awareness at any chance that we get, and uh, this is great, a great opportunity. I've been a cop for eight years. Uh, two days ago was the eight-year anniversary, wow. actually. And, um, I mean, I, I always knew that I wasn't going to deviate from the fundamentals of what policing is supposed to be because, you know, in spite of the origins of policing, when you see what the written objectives are, they're actually very noble. You know, and, and when I was in the academy and I noticed that, I said, I could do this. You know, this is, the, you know, I, if anything, I was looking for the part where it says to racially profile and I couldn't mm. find it. So I said, well, if this is what we're supposed to be doing on paper, then because I, I, I joined say, saying to myself, I'm going to do everything right. But the things they asked me to do that's wrong on pa- thinking it's on paper, I'm not going to do. So in the academy, I discovered it wasn't even on paper. You know, that what's wrong with the job? 
So um, I knew I was never going to deviate from the fundamentals once I saw what they were. So then, you know, Academy is done six months later. Now I'm out there on the streets and day one, day one, immediately the quota was thrown at us. Wow. You know, and, and I thought this is just so we could get our feet wet, just so we can get it, the experience to how it is to make an arrest, how to, you know, what the paperwork is, you know, what paperwork is required, et cetera. But then the next day it was the same thing. And then the next day it was the same thing. And you weren't recognized for anything but how many people you stopped and frisked, arrested, and gave summonses to. And I said, wait, this is it. <laughs> this is what I've been going through as a teenager. This is what's causing, what caused the experiences that I had as a teenager. And I couldn't believe it. And again, I knew I was never going to conform to it. And, you know, I didn't know I was going to speak out on this level yet. Right. But I knew I wasn't going to conform. And the more it, it started messing with my career, mm. I still knew I wasn't going to conform. I'd rather sacrifice my career. And, and wow. you know, one of the captains and lieutenants said, you do know you're not going to get promoted if you, don't, if you don't play the game. I said, if I have to sacrifice my promotion, then so be it. It's worth it. You do know you could get fired for this. If, and I repeat, if I have to get fired for this, then so be it because I'm doing nothing wrong. That is so noble. And I just want to mention that, you know, it, it reminds me, it's reminiscent of, you know, soldiers in the, the civil rights movement who were like, I'm going to sacrifice my life. You know, you know, thank God you don't have to physically put your life on the line, but your livelihood you're putting on the line. And that's the type of sacrifice that we all appreciate in order to get change and justice. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I, you say, thankfully, that's not the case. I mean, but there has been instances within the New York City Police Department where whistleblowers were then subjected to false arrest and other uh, things by the department um, because the department was trying to cover up uh, the downgrading of crimes or cover up their this, this quota that, um, you know, Officer Raymond is talking about. Um, and so there is uh, obviously, as far as I'm concerned, a risk, um, you know, maybe it's not your life. Um, in that sense, um, but do you perceive some of those risks? I mean, what's your current status with the department um, as we speak? And do you perceive some of the risks that I just talk about that those things could happen to you because of this? Well, you know, uh, prior to making the decision to go public and, and kind of be the face of this, I, I laid out all possibilities, and that was one of them. You know, I'd be a fool to not think of that possibility. If you remember, you know, a few, a few decades ago, uh, Frank Serpico, he was the original whistleblower, yep. you know, the, the father of whistleblowing when it comes to um, police corruption. And he was shot in the head. Thankfully, he survived it. But oh, I, w I, w I laid out all possibilities and I still I accepted every single one because, it, you know, you get to a point where you're just tired, you know, and, and I, I'm not a father yet. But I think about all of my friends who have um, young boys, you know, especially young black boys. Uh, I spoke to a few yesterday. I told them, you know. When I do this, I do this for you. This isn't for me at all. If I was worried about myself, I would have cashed in a long time ago. I'm supposed to be a sergeant right now. Mm -hmm. You know, wow. I, I was supposed to get promoted on December 17th to sergeant. It's like a $20,000 raise to sign papers, you know, and I missed out on that. And, and I'd miss out on it. Like, it, it's not even if again, it's that when you when you when you weigh the two, it, it's not it's completely worth it, you know, because millions of lives would be affected by this. Mm. You have to remember, New York is is the epicenter of a lot of these issues. So broken windows policing, um, uh, re, um, quota policing, this starts in New York. You know, this starts in New York about 20 years ago and then spread throughout the rest of the nation. One thing about police departments in this nation, when they want to choose um, 
new leadership, they always go to the newly retired chiefs from the NYPD. And what they do is they bring the system there, you know, Timoney in, 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 uh, in Miami. And, and if you do the research, you'll, sh- you'll see a lot of former NYPD chiefs go on to be, you know, the top cop in, in other cities. And they bring Comstat, broken windows, and everything that's causing these problems here. They bring it there. And before you know it, you get it in Ferguson, smaller towns. As uh, another one in, in the 12 said, NYPD, New York City is Ferguson on steroids. This is where this is this is the real Ferguson. You know, all that the, the AG's um, investigation, it, it everything they laid out about Ferguson, you know, every cop that read it was like, well, what what what, what are they going to investigate here? You know, because mm. this is where it started. You know, Stanley. So my question for you is, when was your breaking point? Um, to meaning to speak out or to yeah, s- to speak out. Um. Well, when I originally contacted the attorney, I just wanted to help with the evidence that I collected because, you know, I recorded uh, supervisors telling me to engage in racist and illegal policing. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, you know, I was asked to, to, to be the lead. And, you know, I, th- I spoke to my team and my mentors and they said, this is all you, you know, this is, this is you. you. You're the one for this. Um, and so I would say I decided to last year, last spring, spring of 2015, that's when I said, you know what? Whatever has to happen, so be it. I have to, you know, someone has to speak out from within. Because one thing uh, law enforcement uh, likes to do is, well, you don't put on a uniform. You don't know how it really is. Well, I do. Mm. You can't tell me that. You know, I know how it feels to wrestle with someone. I've had people at gunpoint. I've, you know, I've done, I've done it all, you know. And, and I know how it is to deal with someone who doesn't want to comply, you know. And, and every now and then, there might be a situation where deadly physical force is the option, But thankfully, I haven't had to do that. And there have even been situations where I chose not to use deadly physical force. And colleagues said, why didn't you shoot him? You know, I said, because I didn't need to, (laughs) you know. I mean, I'm just thinking like you're one of the good cops. You're one of the the people that we need in our community to be a mentor, to be a leader and to help, you know, mend these broken relationships we have between police officers and communities of color. But look, it's so disheartening what happened and the fact that you can't do your job and you were really good at your job. Mm. Um, I want to take it back to the case and this class action uh, um, lawsuit because it didn't start off this big I, I understand that there was like a handful of you guys um and now it was about five of you and it's grew into 12 people now um so so let's just take it back to talk about like who blew the first whistle and how did this um, uh, um how did this litigation even come about well the first and you know i really admire him because at the time I'm, i had less than two years on and i could and it, it was like the the twilight zone i couldn't believe what we were really doing and and every you know i read the paper Every morning before, that's how I start my day. I read different periodicals. And, and the official spokesperson for the department at the time, Paul Brown, uh, Deputy Commissioner of Public Information, you know, I would literally read the lies he's telling the people. And like, he would say, we don't engage in A, B, and C. And then when I start work at 3, we're being told to do A, B, and C. And I said, this is crazy. And, um, but then comes Adil Polanco um, on Channel 7. I remember I was flipping channels and... Here he is laying it out, the quotas and, and um, you know, race-based policing. Uh, and I said, wow, you know, I really admire this brother. And it let me, it, it let, like, it reinforced to, to myself that I wasn't losing my mind. And, and, you know, someone else can see that something was wrong. Well, you know, I actually, I had an opportunity, Stanley and I, I mentioned this earlier, we went to go hear Adele Polanco speak. And he said that when he was growing up, the reason why he wanted to become a police officer is because the officers in his community 
were from his community and they interacted with him and they would go like they would come to the park and play basketball with people and they knew the people living in the community and they knew who the bad people were and they knew who the good people were um you know and so like they wouldn't like they wouldn't mess with somebody when they went down to the store just to mess with them just to get a number because they knew that person they knew that that's Ms. Brown's son you know and and that's this person's this person's daughter and so like there was a connection between them and that and and he said that that's a really a big reason for him why he wanted to step out because when he joined the department he was expecting that to be just like that that he would get placed in a community where he was from and he would get to interact with people and then he realized like wait that's not what this is about and unfortunately for me I can't really talk about any ongoing litigation because I do sue the police department um, uh, you know as an attorney with Conan Fitch but what I will tell you um, just from day to day what I see coming in through my office which is like 99% of my clients are black and Hispanic and I could basically tell you their story is so similar. Every time somebody comes into my office, I hear like a very, very similar story. You know, I was going to the bodega. I, I shook hands with somebody. The next thing I know, they told me that I had made a drug sale or I had bought drugs, but I didn't have any drugs on me. Or I had sold drugs when I don't sell drugs. Or, you know, I was um, I was in the car and I got pulled over. They said I had a suspended license that I didn't have. Or they said I didn't they had, that I had a warrant that I had cleared up three months ago. And then I had to spend 24 hours going through the system and and, you know, sitting in a dirty jail cell and seeing a judge and having to be searched and having my clothes removed and getting fingerprinted and the whole experience is humiliating. And all of this is going on because somebody needed to get overtime. Somebody needed to make some numbers so that they were going to get promoted or they were going to get, um, you know, a, a, a better evaluation. And that's a problem. We have a constitution. You know, people should be stopped and frisked if they're engaging in activity that's potentially suspicious or criminal. But if they're not, like, they're not, they should shouldn't just be another checkbox like that somebody's checking in order to, you know, go home and feel good about themselves and about their evaluation at the end of the day. Thank you so much for that, Alyssa. So, guys, if you're just tuning in, you can give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903 or tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. So the question I have for you is how, how did other officers respond when – like they, they, their first day, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, you have to stop and frisk five people and arrest six people." I'm making those numbers up, obviously, but like, how do how do other officers respond? Is it, is there that same kind of outrage? Well, the initial response is is it's I wouldn't call it outrage; it's more confusion because mm. it's just it, it contradicts what we learn in the academy completely. Mm. Um, but after about two weeks of confusion, it becomes conform, and then you watch them five months later the rookies behind us telling them to do the same thing. Like, I, I've watched, you know, about four years in, I would, every six months, I, w- I would watch uh, uh, r- rookies at first confused at what, what's asked of us, and six months later, teaching it right back to another wow. group of confused rookies who then, yeah. six, it's just, you know, perpetuates. Sounds like you could stop, oh. No, yeah. no, I mean, oh no, you're absolutely right, and it just sounds like an ongoing cycle that, you know, has to end, and obviously we commend you because you're taking a stance to end this. Um, again, guys, if you're just tuning in, we have Edwin Raymond here with us in studio. He is a lead plank- plaintiff in the NYPD 12 case. You guys can call in with questions or comments at 212-650-6903. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will continue this very important conversation about what's going on right here with our own NYPD. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. (laughs) 
This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Before we went on break, we were talking to Edwin Raymond. Again, he is the lead plaintiff in the federal class action lawsuit against the NYPD for violating a 2010 state ban on quotas. So he and 11 other Latino and black officers are blowing the whistle and just telling the world what it's like to be an NYPD officer. As he said, you know, you're trained for one thing most of you guys go in there because you want to help protect communities of color but then on your first day on duty you're told to stop and frisk you're told to arrest a certain group of people you're told to to make sure you target these disenfranchised people because you have to build a quota and 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 i remember i was watching um an interview that you guys have done and i forgot who said it but one of the officers that are part of the case said the reason why you don't see us doing uh, or, or or implementing these type of tactics in midtown is because automatically they would get a, a phone call to the mayor's office or to police uh police commissioner uh, william branton's office about discrimination and injustice but because it's happening in uh, communities that have been historically marginalized and we don't understand our power and we don't feel like we have any power it just happens and it becomes the norm like it becomes the norm for so many black men to be harassed by police to be pulled over like i remember being in the car with my friend before he became a firefighter and he was like oh again pulled over again selena and then like he just went through this regimen and i'm like like how do you know this and he's like i it happens all the the time Hands yes. On yep. Yes, yep. So, no, sir. Yep. You want some more tea, sir? Massa, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it, it, that's exactly what it is. Stanley? Can, can, I want to get some, yes. some clarification on something. Sure. So, are they saying stop and frisk people? Or are they li- literally saying get five black guys? Get five. <laughs> no, I'm, it sounds silly. How literal but, is it? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, all right. So, one thing that they're good at, you know, which is probably why they, they their own personal way to rationalize, they, they, it's, Tim Wise calls it racism 2.0, colorblind yeah. racism. They get the same racial outcome without ever having to mention race. And what allows this is the fact that, for the most part, uh, in spite of gentrification, New York City has enclaves of, of certain ethnicities and nationalities. So in the 7-5 precinct in East New York, um, yeah, you know, you just tell guys to get, to, they have to, I believe their number was 20. They have to get 20 stop and frisk. In a day? No, in a month. Oh, okay. And uh, you need, again, to legally stop and frisk someone, you need something called reasonable suspicion. Yeah. I don't care where you are. You're not going to get that 20 times a month, m- time and time again. Yeah. So you, you just end up stopping random people. And, and you get to focus on only blacks because it's a black area. And you get yeah. to say, hey, we're just responding to crimes. We're just, yeah. hey, th- this is a black area. How are we racist? But you see, because of gentrification and the transit, you know, I, I used to work in transit. Mm-hmm. You get white folks now in certain neighborhoods that were traditionally you wouldn't find white folks. Yeah. And you also get, you also get, um, in transit, mm-hmm. you can go from a white area. Uh, a white person can get into any area, and w- and they'll commit infractions the same way. And all of a sudden, you're getting pulled to the side, saying, "Why did you stop that person?" N- they don't even care the fact that you had probable cause. So, wow. Yeah. So it's like you get retaliated against, or, or even reprimanded, or scolded if you stop a white person yes. as a as a cop of color. Yes. And I mentioned Michael Birch, uh, who was a, an officer who. You know, he actually, there was an article about this. I, I recently wrote an, an op-ed uh, referencing his case where um, the commander who Bratton recently promoted, promoted, is forcing Birch to focus, to target black males. 
he repeat, repeatedly tells him to target black males. And Birch is like, I don't, I don't discriminate. I, you know, I don't target anyone. I stop everyone. If you commit a crime or any infraction, I'm stopping you. I don't, I'm not looking at your gender, ethnicity. And the commander repeatedly tells him to target black males. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I live on the Upper East Side on 78th and York, and um, I'll tell you, I see no activity. I, I see plenty of people uh, committing crimes and infractions, um, but I see no activity. In fact, I don't think I've seen two officers walking a beat in my neighborhood ever, and I've lived there for almost seven years now. Um, I mean, every once in a while, I'll see um, a, a car, just a cruiser, go down my block, go around, um, but, like, you just don't see it, and yet... These people, mostly white, mostly middle class, that live in this neighborhood, they sit on the front stoops, they smoke joints, they drink wine in wine glasses. I got to tell you, I rode by Carl Schertz Park the other day, and there's a little, like, grassy knoll area, which is in full view of Gracie Mansion, where the mayor lives. And you are on camera. There are, you know, those um, satellite cameras that take 360 pictures. And you're on camera no matter where you sit in that area. And there's two people sitting there, and they break open the picnic basket, and they take out a bottle of wine and they open the bottle of wine and they begin to openly pour the bottle of wine into wine glasses and then they proceed to sit there and just openly drink this wine nobody does anything about it um you know so and and nobody's there to come stop frisk summons them can i i was just at riverside park in maryland a week or two ago and we were there eating food and there were some people over there having fun and they they had some drinks but they were like in like concealed like you couldn't tell cops came over wrote them tickets Disappeared. Came back another ten minutes. Wrote them another ticket. Came back fifteen minutes later. Wrote a couple sitting next to them who also was very discreet with their drinks. Tickets. This all happened in a forty-five minute period to the point that Marilyn and I were like, you know what? We got to go. Also because we have some alcohol with us too. But that's not the point. <laughs> no, I mean that also leads into a good question for um, Officer Raymond, which is how does broken windows policing play into um, you know the kinds of things that you're seeing and the reason why you're bringing your lawsuit? Well, well that's I was going to go there. Thank you for you know providing the platform. That and then that's the main critique, the main flaw of broken windows. According to broken windows. Innocuous infractions uh, are indications of bigger issues. So, you know, when if say there's a murder, if you over police innocuous infractions in the area that the murder takes place, according to broken windows, it's supposed to stop murders. It's nonsense, because if innocuous infractions were an indication of bigger issues, the Upper East Side would be. You know, right. It would, would be like the crime capital exactly, of the or city. Park Slope. They so that, Molly out there. Ex- exactly. So that's why it's so flawed. And by the way, uh. Uh, open container is the number one summons that NYPD writes yeah, year after year. Yeah, it's like 98% year. given to black people. Absolutely. We have those statistics. And if you want, I'm telling you, if you want to see open container, just take a stroll through Park Slope or mm. Upper East Side, et cetera. So this is, that's the main flaw. This is what completely shows that Broken Windows is based on nonsense, com- completely anecdotal, nothing empirical to support it whatsoever, as the Inspector General's report recently uh, stated. Thank you so much for that, Edwin. We actually have on the line with us another plaintiff in the case. We have Richard Baez Baez, who is also, uh, again, um, uh, leading the way when it comes to just blowing the whistle on NYPD, these tactics that do nothing but hurt and disenfranchise communities of color. Um, thank you so much for calling in, Richard. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And Raymond, and I give a lot of praise to Raymond. He's definitely a lion and the struggle. And similar to my story, it's like when I came out of the academy, I wanted to do good. I wanted to protect uh, the community from the bad people, you know, the drug dealers, the murderers, the rapists, the thieves. 
And when you get on the streets, you know, what they want is numbers. They didn't care what type of number you wanted. Uh, you get, they just wanted numbers. And also, what they was doing also to downgrading the crime. You know, if somebody get robbed, they won't classify as a robbery. They'll classify it as a petty larceny. They'll still make it an arrest for the, for the crime, but they won't get, uh, <clears throat> the, the command won't get that high number because promotion is based on the crime rate. You can make a lot of arrests for, uh, can make a lot of arrests for misdemeanors, but as long as the felonies are low, the commanding officer of the command will get promoted. So that's the, that's how they get away with, uh, with, uh, their tactics. Uh, also, broken windows, like Raymond said, is flawed in a way that is specifically targeting a group of people. Is not enforced widely throughout the city. Um, Richard, while we have you on the line, I want to uh, make sure I ask this question to both you and Edwin. And again, thanks so much for, for calling in and for exposing the injustices that we as black and brown people feel all the time, but have never really been validated to this level. Like, finally, it's like someone saying, oh, no, it's it's true. They they don't just feel harassed. Um, they're not just saying that. It, it's true. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about retaliation that you guys have faced, either being demoted or not being properly perpetrated promoted because you're speaking out but i want to know have you also fa- faced any retaliation from other officers right within your precinct do you feel like the black sheep or anything like that i'll ask that to richard first well i, I do feel that from certain officers but majority officer in my command we just been uh, brutalized by management so they all know what i'm saying is the truth they won't speak in public in support but they'll tell me in private and say, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. You even have supervisors come up to me and say, thank you, black, white, and, minor- and Latinos. But they won't go on public record and say it because it's that fear of retaliation that the department has on its, New York Police Department has on its police officers. That's how they keep us quiet. But, you know, brothers like me, Raymond, and the rest of the Blue 12, we are not afraid. We fell up. We want justice in our communities that we serve because we took, a, we took an oath to serve and protect, not to serve and oppress. So, Thank you so much, Richie, for calling in and, you know, just sharing your story with us. Um, Edwin, I want to give you some time to respond to that, too, about, you know, how it's been as an officer still going to work every day. Like you just told us, you have to show up and report tomorrow. Yeah. Well, similar to what... Um Richie said, uh, I expected to be completely ostracized, and um, uh, I got the opposite, actually. Uh, It's been a lot of support. It's as if this thing is taking on a life of its own where no one feels responsible, so they're not going to try to do anything about it, but they don't necessarily agree with it. And and all black, white cops, uh, Hispanic cops, you know, they... I'm sorry. They, um... It's been a lot of support. There, There are some... You know, you get some stares. You know, you get some people whispering when, when I walk into a room, uh, when I go to court, et cetera. You, you know, you get people that recognize who I am. But overall, it's been a lot of support, uh, high-ranking support, too. You know, people that stand right next to the commissioner have, have called and supported me. Wow. Yeah. Have you heard anything from Patrick Lynch? You know what? That's, that's, um, 
It's unfortunate I haven't. It you is. Know, yeah, because, you uh, to that man. He's actually on the record uh, speaking about quotas himself. So I thought this would have been the perfect opportunity. And he didn't even release a statement. You know, and I pay my, I've paid my dues since day one. Um, I feel completely unrepresented by the uh, PBA. It's, 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 it's a shame. Because Pat Lynch doesn't care about black people. He only cares about his salary. And I'll put his it on His double air. salary. His double salary. Pat Lynch can kiss my behind. Um, don't, don't come to Harlem. You know, before we finish up, I have one more question for you, which is, so there's an article that was published in Vox uh, by a gentleman named Reddit Hudson. He's a former police officer of color who actually quit over issues within the police department he worked in. Um, but he says that in any police department in a nation, 15 percent of the officers will do the right thing no matter what is happening. Fifteen percent of officers will abuse their authority at every opportunity. And the remaining 70 percent could go either way, depending on whom they're working with. And I was curious to get your thoughts on that. Do you do you agree with that? Do you think the numbers are higher or lower in the New York City Police Department? And um, what does he mean by could go either way, depending on who they work with? How does that play out? Well, um, I mean, I, I, anecdotally, I don't know. I can't give those same numbers. I would actually, I would have to give it thought. I've never tried to break it down like that. But one thing I do have to put on the record is uh, more so than individual racism, this implicit bias is the problem, you know. Implicit bias, this idea that even with the absence of criminality, that a black man is a criminal, you know, a, 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 a felonious uh, creature that needs to be dealt with or he'll kill you. This is what causes people to create horrible policy. This is what causes someone who was told, you know, when someone tells you they have a firearm, that is a courtesy and that is a sign of respect. You don't shoot them, you know. You know the, the, but implicit bias, you, you're still not seeing a human being. You're just seeing... One of those guys, oh, my God, he has a gun. You know, it's, it's, it's implicit bias and bad policy needs to be tackled. Right. Um, Edwin, before we let you go, um, I want to just, you know, wrap things up by asking you, why do you think and why are you making a case for federal oversight over the NYPD? But, you know, time and time again, they've said, oh, we have enough oversight. We have five district attorneys. We have internal affairs with over 400 members, et cetera. We have a ton of oversight, and it's nonsense. But, and now they brag about the inspector general being oversight when, when they were saying they didn't, we didn't need an, a, an independent inspector general. Now they, they, they were bragging about now we have an inspector general, and you just saw his report on broken windows denouncing it. Um, the NYPD has shown time and time again it really cannot police itself when it comes to corruption. Look at these top brass. Look at this FBI probe. Right. You know, there are people who deserve to be promoted who won't get looked at because they're not part of the boys' network. Meanwhile, these guys get promoted right up the ranks, some of them promoted by Bratton himself, and here they are being handcuffed. You know, and, and these are the people that write the policies. You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, horrible. It is. It definitely is. real criminals. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right um, in saying that. And, Edwin, you know, I just want to give um, people a chance to, if they would like to support you in any way. I don't know if you're on, like, social media or how they can um, become a supportive and an ally to what you're doing. Well, um, you know, and, you know, I have to thank this group, uh, the Justice League of New York. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, Carmen, Tamika, Angelo, Jules, and, and so many others, uh, Mr. Belafonte himself. Uh, when it comes to the grassroots support for the movement, uh, NYPD 12 case, New York Justice League, they are, they are the ones. They, they are the ones who are guiding this. And just go on their websites, find them. You could just put me in Edwin Raymond. You know, I'm on Facebook also. Um, 
you know, just everything is through the Justice League. Right. But if you could reach out to, you could try to find the offices based on their name on social media also. No, definitely. Yeah. The New York Justice League is definitely leading the front when it comes to fighting against police brutality and also the discrimination within the NYPD. But I'll also say, you know, as a civil rights lawyer, we really appreciate what you guys are doing because it's helpful for us. We've been trying to make these cases, you know, um, uh, for a long time, um, whether they're individual cases or class actions. And it's really difficult to try and bring a case sometimes when you don't have people blowing whistles. So when people start blowing whistles, and you start getting actual evidence, including uh, audio recordings of officers saying things, that can be extremely helpful moving forward, um, you know, from uh, my perspective and from the perspective of probably every single other civil rights attorney in New York City and throughout the country. Thank you for that, Alyssa. And really quickly, I just want to wrap things up by saying, let's not forget New York City and New York State itself is one of the most progressive states in our nation, right? We're always, you know, you know, uh, uh, playing that liberal card and, you know, leading the front. But it's I feel like we forget sometimes just how bad it is because okay, obviously New York is a blue state and a lot of Democrats run everything. But still within these communities, we're still being hurt. We're still seeing officers go out and stop and frisk black and brown people and arrest them. And eventually they can't even get a good job. Like, how do you know that young 14 year old black boy who may have been smoking a joint may or may not have been like selling a Lucy or something so minor? How you know he wasn't trying to be a police officer trying to get his life together and now he can't because he has a record so we're just hurting each other when we hurt these disenfranchised communities we are all one we're all here in this state but when when somebody hurts we all hurt so again we just want to commend the new york justice league edwin and also the 11 other black and latino officers for taking a stance people like Alyssa who have dedicated their lives to fight on behalf of these people and give them a voice and we'll continue doing our part here let your voice be heard and I, again if you're listening it's time to take action i mean if you don't get anything else out of you know this entire show it is a call to action get involved go to our protests donate some money tweet about it do anything because people are dying and it's time for us the people that know better to do better and on that note, we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. Alyssa's coming back with a quickie right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Unleash the flu, so 